Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring Starship Sofa and Tales to Terrify. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is once again Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 85. I'm your host, Nicholas seaton Clark. This week we bring you a nice pulpy piece of grim and gritty sword and sorcery by Richard Ford titled The Half-Weird's Burden. The story originally appeared in issue number four of Grimdark magazine, available online. You can check out the link in our show notes for details. Richard himself originally comes from Leeds in the United Kingdom, but now resides in the sunny Cotswold countryside. His first novel, Cultus, was published by Solaris Books in 2011. Herald of the Storm, book one in the Steelhaven trilogy, was published in 2013, followed by The Shattered Crown in 2014. The concluding volume, Lord of Ashes, was released in May of this year. Halfweird's Burden is read for you by Mark the Encaffeinated One Kilfoyle. Mark loves fiction, so much so that he's written some, such as the Parsec-nominated Tainted Roses. He's read quite a lot, he has a library of over a thousand half-read books and growing, and now narrates it, sometimes actually recorded for others. He's found that volunteering for a dozen years in radio was a decent way to get a full-time job as a programme director at a community radio station in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada, but not such a great way to finish his thesis, so he stopped at a master's in computer science. He can be heard frequently on chsrfm.ca, and two of his shows regularly appear as podcasts, can be found at encaffeinated.ca and theweirdshow.com. He likes cats, enough to pet them, but not enough to own one, and computers enough to own several, but pet none of them, which is a relief. He will someday write a million words, but at this rate, that will require life extension, so he eagerly awaits the ability to upload into a computer, if that hasn't already happened and this is all only a simulation. And with that... Half-Weird's Burden, by Richard Ford. The Half-Weird's Burden, a Steelhaven story, by Richard Ford. Around early autumn, the border trail west out of Valdor was windy as a nobleman's trap and cold as a devil's heart. 
It was 200 leagues of forested inclines and boggy descents, with bears and wolves and worse lying in wait to fill their bellies before the long, hard weeks of winter set in. Sometimes there wasn't even a path to see, and anyone who didn't know the way will be lost quicker than a priest in a whorehouse. It was a hard land, untamed by cities or farms, and it was a rare kind of man that had any business making a trade in a place so remote. When the rain pissed down like it was trying to drown you, and the wind howled and roared till it frayed your wits. A rare kind of man, indeed, would make his business in such a place. But then, Oban Halfweird was one of the rarest. He'd roamed these trails most of his life, from a boy at his father's knee to a man now turning to gray. Before the first hair had even grown on his chin, he'd been made one of the wardens. It was an honor he'd been born to, and a duty he'd lived for till he breathed his last. The wardens were an old order, old as the sword king, some said, and the wardens of the north were the oldest of them all. They'd patrolled the border with Golgartha since the War of the Red Snows, back in the dark days when the northmen had come down with their stone axes and their witch-workers looking for blood and slaves. It had been up to the wardens of the north to put the call out then, summoning the five armies to smash the Golgarthans back to their ice-bound holdfasts. Nowadays the Northmen were too busy fighting each other to worry about those on their southern border, so Oban spent most of his days stalking brigands and trapping bears. It was work he was uniquely suited to, hard and grim. But then Oban Halfweird was a hard man, and the grimmest. It was why he was so keenly suited to it, work other men, ordinary men, grown soft in the cities and towns and villages of the free states, would never last long at. Keeping the king's peace was no easy task, and those most fit for it were cut from a very particular cloth. Dispensing the king's justice was a duty not bestowed on just anyone. There were some, though, that thought it their own duty, that took it upon themselves to act without the dispensation granted the wardens, some that believed themselves bestowed such a duty by a power higher than that of the crown, men who claimed to act for the poor and downtrodden, but who answered to no one, not even King Kale himself. Today, atop the border trail heading westwards into Dreldun, it was just such a man Oban found himself hunting. There was little sign. The man was clearly practiced at covering his trail, but Oban had known these ways for decades and had tracked men and beasts of all kinds. It was said even the birds would have trouble hiding their passing from him. There wasn't a man alive who could evade his pursuit. When his blood was up and the hunt was on, no bloodhound's nose was keener, nor falcon's eye sharper, than Oban Halfweird's. As he reached the top of the ridge that led down onto the flatlands and the border with the northern steppes, Oban knew there was only one place his quarry could be headed. Harrowgard was the last frontier town before the territory of the Kurtas. More a fort than a town, it was one of many that lined the northern extremes of Dreldun, giving early warning of any attack from the savage lands. With renewed vigor, Oban made his way down the pass toward the town. 
his tread as practiced and sure as a mountain goat. It was treacherous underfoot, and a broken ankle could easily be the death of a man up here in the high trails, but Oban hadn't lived so long because he was a lumbering fool. It wasn't long before Harrogard came into sight. The town was little more than a maze of thatched huts, surrounded by a palisade of rough-cut pine trees, but Harrogard's fame didn't come from her looks. She'd seen off attacks from the Kurtas of the north for over a hundred years, and in all that time had never once been overrun, which couldn't be said for most of the other border towns. The Kurtas were a savage breed, persistent, sly, and sooner or later they'd find a way to breach the town's defenses so the slaughter could begin. Not so with Harrowguard. Its militia were a hardy lot, the trappers and hunters that did their trade there, the roughest bunch a man could meet. It was due to this that Oban checked his knife was loose in the sheath, and his axe was where he could easily bring it to hand, should he need it. Two sentries stood on the palisade, their spear points looking nasty as a wolf's teeth. They saw Oban approaching, and before he was within twenty paces the gate opened before him. It had been a year since he'd been here, and a lot could happen in a year, but clearly they remembered him. There was times like this that he was glad of his reputation. Sometimes it made his life easier. Sometimes it didn't. Inside these wooden walls he wouldn't have known Harrogard was a town on the frontier, a town under the constant baleful eye of the Kurtas. There weren't too many smiling faces, that's for sure, but people still went about their business as normal. An old woman washing clothes, children playing in the dirt, a smith hammering out a horseshoe, the sound of it rising high over the town like a funeral bell. Despite the safety of the walls, Oban felt uncomfortable, even here, even in this sorry excuse for, what do they call it? Civilization? They could keep it as far as he was concerned. He far preferred open country, walking the secret paths few men trod. This place, with its walls and its wooden shacks, felt cloying, strangling him, holding him in as though he were chained in a cell. It was for that reason Oban didn't tarry. He had a job to do, and do it he would, as quick as he was bloody well able. There was a wood hut at the end of the row, and though it bore no sign nor name of any kind, Oban knew it to be the alehouse. It also passed for an inn, though the rooms were nothing more than straw beds in an adjoining stable. He had to watch his back in here, and not just because his quarry's trail led right to the door. A year or so before, Oban had seen a man slit from ear to ear over a game of dice, and it wouldn't do to lower his guard. Not now, not when he was so close to ending this sorry affair. The door opened with a squeak, and Oban walked in. Some faces looked up, seeing him there in his furs, looking like one of a thousand mountain men who passed by this way. A couple even recognized him for who he was, but no one took much notice. No one but the man he'd come here to find. He was easily recognizable. Sitting in the corner, far from the light, had any other man come searching, they might not have spotted him there in the dark. But Oban knew exactly what he was looking for. The man looked up when Half-Weird walked in. Only half a look, mind, 
only the briefest glance, but it was obvious he knew who had come for him. He wore black, a cloak over his shoulder, his lean face tilted down, his eyes in shadow. As Oban walked toward him, he knew there'd be weapons beneath the table he sat behind, a weapon in his cloak, at his belt, hells, even in his boots, most likely. Oban sat on a stool opposite the man, with nothing but a simple oak table between them. You could have tried to take him by surprise, could have tried shooting an arrow from across the room, but Oban was one of the wardens. It was his job to keep the king's peace, not start fights in alehouses where some unlucky bugger might get cut or killed. Besides, Oban was nothing, if not fair. He always liked to give a man a chance to come peaceful-like, even if that man was a dark and dangerous bastard. "'You know me, Rook?' Oban asked, using the old northern name for the Lord of Crow's dead priests. "'The name's Pike,' said the man, without looking up, his face still in darkness. "'And I'm guessing you're the one who's been dogging my trail since west of Valder.' "'That I am. You almost lost me a time or two as well. That's not an easy feat for any man. But you ain't any man, are you, Pike?' You know what I am, Warden. Oban knew all right. He was one of the dead priests who followed the Lord of Crows, the old god of the dead. They were an ancient order, older even than the Wardens, and when the peasants and serfs of the Free States didn't feel they'd been served the King's justice, it was the rooks they turned to. I know what you are. I know you killed a district sheriff south of Fallow Rock, then you'll have to answer for it. Pike looked up then, showing his face and eyes set in it. They were old eyes, eyes that had witnessed a long life full of hardship, eyes steeped in wisdom and hard-won knowledge. Oban would have liked to talk long and late with a man behind eyes like that, but talking wasn't his purpose here. "'Aye, that I did,' said Pike, nodding his agreement. "'And that I will.' What say you let me finish my ale before we head for the road? Oban glanced down at the half-empty tankard on the front of Pike, then nodded. I don't see the harm in it. Pike nodded his thanks and took a drink. You know why I killed him, Warden? He said as he placed his tankard back on the oak table. Oban knew all right. He'd asked round. He knew the tales and believed them, too. "'Because that sheriff raped a girl,' Oban replied. "'Because he left her with a child and wouldn't pay no bastard sum. "'Because she killed herself rather than raise the child alone in disgrace.' "'No,' said Pike, his expression grim, "'his eyes looking into Oban as though they could read his heart. "'I killed him because you and yours stood by and did nothing.' "'Weren't nothing we could do,' Oban replied.' quick on the defensive. Her word against his was no proof. Pike stared, and in that moment the two of them knew that was nothing of an answer. In his heart, Oban knew the girl's claim to be true, and he felt the shame of it in his gut. "'Is that what you call the king's justice?' Pike asked. "'It's as good a justice as anyone can hope for.' Pike shook his head. You know that's not true, Warden. That's why most folk 
end up asking for the crow's justice. Aye, that's as may be, but that justice ain't sanctioned by the crown. The king's is. So if you'll finish that ale, we'll be on our way. It's a long road and treacherous, and I'd rather be off sooner than late. Pike shook his head. The dead priests act for the people, warden. We give justice to the poor, justice to those that can't afford the king's favor. Oban could hear the scraping of chairs behind him, the squeak of that door opening as some of the other patrons sensed violence coming and decided to be elsewhere when it kicked off. You're a murderer, said Oban, sensing the coming violence himself. You rooks are all the same, taking the law into your own hands, killing who you please, and telling everyone it's the will of the Lord of Crows. Well, I'm here to tell you it ain't. I'm here to take you back, or enough as you as will stand for proof that you're dead. Pike smiled at that one. And I'm ready for it. Ready for death. What about you, Wharton? When you finally meet the Lord of Crows, when you finally have to stand before him, and he gives you one last boon, what will you ask for? Oban had never really thought about it. He didn't put much store by the old gods, nor the new for that matter. It was legend that the old god of the dead would come to take you to the heavens or the hells, but you'd get one last chance to put something right before you went. Oban had no regrets, though. He'd lived a life he loved for as long as anyone could have hoped for. I reckon I might find out soon enough, he replied, and moving down to the knife at his thigh. I, said Pike, I reckon you just might. Oban expected Pike to go for a weapon then, expected him to come at him across the table like a devil from the pits. He hadn't expected Pike to fling the tankard that still sat between them, right at his head. It bounced off his nose, what remained of the warm ale splashing on his face, in his eyes, in his lips, tasting bitter and tepid. It didn't hurt, but it served to distract him just long enough for Pike to surge to his feet, knocking the table back and putting Oban off his balance. The knife was in his hand now as he staggered back, shoulders hunching, ready to strike or parry as necessary. But he needn't have bothered. Instead of attacking, Pike was off and away across the room. Oban was blocking his way to the door, but Pike didn't seem too bothered about that. He moved toward the only window in the place, rickety slats letting the daylight creep into the room all wane and pale. Pike didn't pause to open it, but flung himself through the window, smashing the slats to kindling as he went, and leaving Oban standing there with a knife in his hand, as much use as if he'd been holding his cock. None too keen to go leaping after him through the window, Oban ran to the door, skittering past the few folk still left in the place. As he raced out into the street, he sheathed his knife and shrugged the bow from his shoulder, knocking as he ran, eyes peeled for sign of Pike rushing off into the distance. He could hear a commotion, voices raised in anger, something being overturned, and he moved in that direction, his blood up now, eyes staring, ears, ears pricked like a wolf's. When he rounded the corner, he saw an upturned barrel, some woman on her arse, looking up to the north. Oban followed her gaze, tramping through the muddy street as fast as he could, breathing hard, running hard, 
but not hard enough. He got to the end of the street in time to see Pike up ahead, already mounting the ladder to the wooden walkway that ran the perimeter of the stockade. The rook was about to leap over the edge of it and off to freedom, but suddenly stopped and turned. Oban aimed, pulling back on the bowstring, his target dead in his sights. Pike looked down at him and smiled. It was enough to give Oban pause. He'd killed countless men in countless ways, stabbed them, shot them, strangled them, even gutted one with a stag's antler. They usually screamed, spat blood, or cursed his name. But he'd never killed any bastard who was smiling at him. That pause, less time than it took to draw breath, was all the time Pike needed to spin round, clear the wooden palisade, and disappear. Oban could have cursed himself for a fool, but surely it weren't right to kill a man who shot you a grin. What a bloody trick. But he still had his job to do, and as soon as Pike had gone over the wall, Oban ran shouting and wailing for the gate to be opened. The two sentries lifted the crossbeam while he was still yelling, doing their best to accommodate him, but, despite their haste, by the time the gate was opened, Pike had disappeared into the woods to the north. His sign was easy to follow, though. He was moving too quick to hide it, and Oban was right in pursuit, arrow still knocked, face fixed and determined. If that bastard flashed him another smile, he wouldn't make the same mistake. He'd see if Pike could still grin with an arrow through his teeth. Oban broke the tree line. What light shone through the cloud was suddenly snuffed, and he paused until his eyes had adjusted, and he could make out the trail, a quivering branch, or half-print in the soft earth. Pike wasn't far, not far at all. The wind was getting up, the canopy above swaying and rustling, and Oban couldn't hear a thing above the noise. As he followed the prints, he noticed they began to shorten as Pike's pace slowed. The trees ahead were dense, and Oban slowed to a walk, scanning all around him for signs of danger. That black-clad rook could be lying in wait, hiding in the shadows with a naked blade ready to stick it somewhere Oban wouldn't like. He could be anywhere. Pike was up ahead, standing right in front of him. Oban pulled his bowstring taut, but waited. What was he doing, just standing there waiting like he'd given up? No, that wasn't the way of the rooks. They never gave up. Pike looked at him, his brow furrowed. Then he lifted a hand, signaling for Oban to stop. There was no way he was going to be fooled a second time. Half-weird was no one's bloody fool. As Oban raised his bow, Pike pointed to his left. Oban was about to curse him, about to shout out and ask how stupid Pike thought he was, when something came screaming at him from the shadows. He barely had time to raise his bow and block the axe that came scything down. The bow was cleaved in two, the arrow sent flying off into the canopy, Oban dashed back, pulling knife and axe from his belt. He could see his attacker now, animal skins adorning his powerful frame, scars piercing and war paint marring his face and body. A hunter of the Kuritas. The attack was ferocious, an onslaught fueled by an animal's rage. Oban was hard-pressed to defend himself against it. The axe came swinging in left and right as Oban retreated. 
Before he could even think to counter, his foot caught a tree root, and he went tumbling backward, his knife falling from his grip as he hit the ground. The Kurta screamed in triumph, his axe raised high, and all Oban could do was watch as it came crashing down. But it didn't land. The Kurta's scream of victory was cut short by a length of razor steel that suddenly shot from his neck. Pike then pulled his weapon clear and let the savage fall. "'On your feet, warden,' said the rook. "'They never travel alone.' Oban scrambled to his feet, grabbing his fallen knife, and as though summoned by Pike's words, more Kurtas came howling from the dark of the wood. This time, though, Oban was ready. The first came straight at him, blue and black war paint cutting across his face like a bear had clawed away his flesh. His teeth were sharpened to points and looked almost as nasty as the curved sword he carried in one hand. The blade thrust at Oban's belly. He parried with the knife, his axe coming in quick and neat. It took the kurta in the shoulder, turning that cry of rage into a scream of pain. The savage staggered back, but Oban didn't relent, hacking in with his knife once, twice, and making a bloody mess of the Kurta's throat. As his foe fell back, Oban faced the next one, barely registering Pike, who was moving in the periphery, fighting his own enemies with deadly efficiency, each cut of his blade slicing an artery, slashing a throat, or bursting an eyeball. The second Kurta charged in. Oban's axe blocked the blade, but the force of the attack sent them both sprawling. Oban twisted, trying to get on top, trying to get an edge, but his attacker was strong, fast, and young. Not that it bothered Oban. He could handle himself in a bloody scrap. They rolled over in the dirt, the Kurta growling like a dog in a pit fight, but Oban somehow managed to get behind him, somehow managed to clamp his arm around the bastard's throat. The Kurta gasped, fingers like claws trying to tear Oban's arm off, fishing for his eyes, grabbing at his balls, but there was no way Oban was going to let go. As his foe began to weaken, Oban squeezed all the harder, willing the air from his lungs, willing him to die. All the while Pike fought on, his speed dazzling, blades flashing, sending sprays of crimson flying from the two Kurtas that remained. By the time the one in Oban's arms went slack, Pike had four corpses at his feet, piles of painted meat, good for nothing but carrion. "'Have you finished?' asked Pike, wiping the blood from his blades and sheathing them at his side. "'Aye, I reckon,' Oban replied, rising gingerly. The pain from the fight hadn't settled in yet, but he knew he'd feel it in the morning. Pike eyed him warily his hands still close to his blades, should he need them. But Oban had other things on his mind now. "'This is a scouting party,' he said, looking at the seven corpses fast cooling in the shade of the trees. "'They wouldn't have come this far south on their own. They must be ahead of a bigger host.' Pike nodded. "'Aye, but how big? If it's just a few tribesmen looking for slaves and steel—' we should warn Harrogard. But if it's more, if it's a whole clan come looking for war, Baron Harlan will have to be told, and his bannerman raised. Only one way to find out, I suppose, Oban replied. 
They moved to where the Kurtas had come howling from the trees, looking for their sign so he could track it to their source. Pike didn't move, still watching, hands still at his sides, close to the handles of those blades. "'And what about our business, Warden?' Oban stopped, looking at the rook standing there tense and ready for another fight. "'I reckon our business can wait,' he said. "'There's other matters need my attention. "'So are you going to help me or not?' Pike seemed to relax some. "'Guess I will.' Though Oban didn't show it, he was glad of Pike's choice. He'd shown himself handy in a fight. What he'd done in Valdor needed answering for, but right now that wasn't important. Oban didn't know the odds he was up against, and it was better facing them with someone at his back, even if that man was a priest to the god of death. The pair moved north. Oban had to give it to those Kurtas. They knew how to move through the brush. There was hardly any sign, when a lot of the time Oban had to make his way blind until he picked up their trail again. Pike moved alongside, as silent as the dead, and on occasion Oban didn't even know he was there. They moved north. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Until nightfall, only stopping when the light had waned so far as to kill any hope of seeing a trail. Oban crouched down, his back to the bowl of a tree, pulling his fur cloak about his shoulders. Where Pike was, he couldn't tell, but he was sure the rook was doing similar it wouldn't do to build a fire with Kurtas on the prowl. Best to spend the night cold and hungry than wake with your throat slit wide. Oben hardly slept, but then in the wilderness trails a man who slept soundly was most likely never to wake again. As soon as the first light began to encroach through the trees, Oben was up, stamping his feet and rubbing the cold out of his veins. Before he could even wonder where the rook had gotten to, Pike was at his shoulder. They didn't speak, but then they didn't have to. This wasn't a time for bartering words, and it was clear Pike knew it. Oban had to admit he liked that. Wasn't often he met a man who wasn't a warden who was as like-minded in purpose. 
He guessed that's why Pike had been so hard in the tracking. The trail was easy to pick up again. Oban took some dried meat from his pack to stop the grumbling in his belly, and even offered a sliver to Pike, who took it with a grateful nod. Soon enough it was like the two of them had been traveling side by side for months as they moved farther north. As the day wore on, the woodland was gradually replaced by rocky scrub that rose up ahead of them toward a ridge. The forest thinned out, and so did the trail, but Oban wasn't worried about losing his quarry. He knew they were somewhere close. Pike slowed, his hand slipping to the blades at his side. Oban pulled his axe, wishing his bow was still in one piece. He far preferred taking down Kurtas from a distance rather than up close, if not just because of the smell. They moved toward the ridge, and Oban's unease began to grow. This place was unfamiliar, and the fact he didn't know the lay of the land bothered him more than he could say. He relied on knowing his terrain, knowing the best vantage points for ambush, knowing where the rivers and streams were to hide your scent and sign. Here he was in the open, exposed, and he didn't like it one bit. As the men made their way up to the edge of the ridge, Pike raised a hand for him to slow. Could he hear something Oban couldn't? Not likely. Oban's senses were keener than most, but he did as the rook signaled. When they were near the lip of the rise, Pike dropped to his knees and began to crawl, Oban doing the same. When he reached the top, what he saw filled him with dread. Below was a wide, flat valley. Sitting in it, spreading far to the north, was the biggest horde Oban had ever seen. He stared at it for long moments, at the hide tents, at the guttering campfires, at the wild men with their wild hair and their scarred flesh as they moved about in silence. For how long he stared, Oban couldn't tell, but he suddenly realized he was holding his breath and let it out in a long, audible sigh of despair. This was no mere war party. This was no single tribe on the hunt for glory and blood and slaves. This was an invading army. Lord, there's thousands of them, Pike whispered. Oban could hear the fear in his voice, and that in itself unmanned him still further. If a priest of the Lord of Crows was afraid of something, then it was bloody well worth fearing. Fifty thousand, maybe, Oban replied. All the tribes united must have been a mighty war leader brought this lot together. We have to warn the Baron. The king, more like. It'll take more than Baron Harlan's bannerman to see off these bastards. Either way, said Pike, already moving back down the ridge, we need to get out of here. Oban didn't need telling twice, and he moved after the rook, barely able to take his eyes from the horde sprawled out across the valley floor. They moved quick now, back down the ridge and toward the woods, all thoughts of stealth blown to the winds. There was a time for creeping, and there was a time for running, and Oban was damn well sure he knew what this one was. Before they could make it to the safety of the tree line, Pike stopped, hand moving to his side. Oban couldn't see what had him spooked, 
but he pulled up just the same, hand on his axe, eyes scanning the trees. He was about to ask what was up when he saw something move from within the forest. His heart sank, fingers twitching, yearning for his bow, eyes flashing quick to left and right looking for the way of escape, but there wasn't one, only the valley behind and the trees ahead. The Kurtas crept out of the wood, eyes hungry, weapons drawn. There must have been a dozen of them, perhaps more, still lurking behind the tree line, but Oban didn't pay them much heed. He was watching the woman walking at their head, leading them on like they were her faithful pack. She was all decked in leather, cut tight to her frame, sheathed blade at her side, and it was clear that she was no Kurtic barbarian. Her black hair was tied in a knot, and her face was sharp, aquiline, and bearing a wry smile. It was her eyes struck him most of all, though, all glittery and golden in that beautiful face. Oban had heard about the El Harim of the far northern riverlands in stories, heard about their immortal lusts and cruelties, and this woman seemed a fitting embodiment of their arrogant pride. He had never seen her like before, and part of him hoped he never would again. "'You are far from home,' she said, stopping a few feet before them. Her kurtas fanned out, moving to the flanks, outmaneuvering them, and as much as Oban hated being outmaneuvered, there wasn't a damn thing he could do about it. "'As are you,' Pike replied. "'Since when do the Al-Harim keep company with the kurtas?' Her smile widened at that. "'Since my lord Amon Tuga defeated their war-chiefs and united their tribes, and since he took a fancy to your kingdom.' She smiled the wider, looking at them with those eyes, cruel and beautiful all at once. Oban almost lost himself to the alluring lilt of her voice, despite the dire implications of her words. "'But you shouldn't worry about that, Southron. "'You should worry about me.' "'She laid a hand on her blade "'as the savages surrounding her prepared to attack. "'Guess we won't be delivering that message after all,' said Oban, "'hand on his axe. "'If these bastards are going to slaughter him where he stood, "'he'd be sure to take a couple with him.' "'Pike didn't reply, but he didn't go for his weapons, either.' Instead, he reached behind him, pulling something from a pouch at his belt, and before the Kurtas could move, he'd thrown it down in front of him. The ground exploded. There was no sound, no deafening crack nor violent hiss, but it was like being hit in the face by a thunderstorm all the same. The air turned gray as ash, and Oban was blinded in an instant, gasping for air that wouldn't come. He flailed around, panic gripping him as he realized he was surrounded by enemies and couldn't see a bloody thing. Someone grabbed his arm. Instinct told him to fight against it, to pull away and run for his life, but he knew it wouldn't be one of the Kurtas. They wouldn't be grabbing. They'd be stabbing. Pike was strong for a wiry bastard, and Oban was dragged stumbling and tripping from the gray cloud and into the trees, he could hear the Kurtas screaming and cursing in their foul tongue, 
as they floundered behind, but he knew they'd be coming after them soon enough. The pair raced through the trees as fast as they could. Oban's eyes were streaming from the cloying dust, but his sight was gradually returning. "'Never figured you for a hedge witch,' said Oban, when he could breathe again. "'There's much can be learned from the hags of the wild if you choose to talk rather than burn them,' replied Pike. Oban had never burned anyone in his life, but he knew it happened, and he knew it was the wardens that sanctioned it. He guessed there was nothing more to say on that one. The two of them ran on, but for every pace they took they could hear the Kurtas gaining. They howled like dogs, relishing the hunt, and Oban knew it was only a matter of time before they caught up. With his old bones he was never going to outdistance them. He and Pike came out of the trees at a rocky ledge, the cliff edge dropping away before them. A noise rose above the blood-curling screams of the approaching Kurtas, and Oban looked down to see a wide and violent river a hundred feet below them, its white water crashing furiously against the rocks on either side. "'What now?' he said, raising his voice above the din. Before Pike could answer, the Kurtas came screaming from the trees, half a dozen of them, wild-eyed and ready for the kill. The time for questions was over. Pike went at them like he had before, face a determined mask, blades slashing. Oban would have liked to watch him go to work, but he had problems of his own. Two of them came at him with murder in their eyes. But it wasn't like Oban couldn't dish out some murder of his own. His axe came up to block, and he ducked, slashing out with his knife and severing tendons in his attacker's leg. The first Kurta went down with a howl. The second was no more trouble as Oban rolled away, coming up hacking, taking the bastard out before he knew what had hit him. There was little time to gloat, though, before an arrow came whistling from the trees to take him in the thigh. Oban grunted, snarling at the pain and at his bad bloody luck. He dropped to one knee, looking up in time to see Pike take out the last of the opponents. But there were more. There were always more. The Kurtas waited, though, standing at the edge of the trees in no hurry, it seemed. But then Oban and Pike weren't going anywhere. As the arrow in his legs started to burn, the Al-Harim woman walked out into the open. "'You've led us on a merry little dance, but I think it's over now,' she called out over the sound of the river. Oban glanced towards the edge of the cliff, hearing the roar of the white water a hundred feet below, and he knew she was right. "'Don't suppose you have any more magic tricks up your sleeve?' Oban asked. Pike only shook his head. No, but one of us still has to take the word south. Oban glanced at the Kurtas, who were watching them, hungrily. And how in the bloody hells do you think we're going to do that? I'm going to make a diversion for you. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm not too spry on my feet right now, he replied, the arrow in his thigh stinging like a white-hot brand. You know the ways south better than me, and these bastards would never find your trail. Oban glanced toward the cliff edge and the river that ran beyond. You don't have to die here, Pike. We can both make it. Pike smiled, though it looked as cold as the waters running swift below. Not likely, Warden. I can't swim. Oban had no time to answer. Pike was off, those blades swinging in his hands. At first the Kurtas made to charge in, 
but the Elharim raised her hand, halting them with the gesture. She took a step forward, and it seemed an almost languid move as she faced Pike's weapons moving with blurred speed. But her sword came up faster, meeting each swipe of those blades, the sound ringing out above the noise of the river. They danced around one another, Pike with a look of grim determination, the Elharim almost amused. The Kurtas were mesmerized by the dance, but Oban saw his opportunity. Slowly he made his way to the edge of the cliff, wincing with every movement as the arrow bit into his thigh, the wound stinging like it was tainted with venom. He managed to drag himself to the lip, hearing the roar of the river even louder, seeing it crashing down the gorge. As he looked back, he saw Pike stagger back, the Alharim's blade having sliced a crimson line from shoulder to elbow. One of the swords fell from his grip, but still he didn't stop, striking in again, only to have his deadly thrust turned aside with casual ease. Another flurry of her weapon and Pike's thigh was opened up, a spray of blood coating the rocks as he dropped to his knees. Oban struggled to his feet. Over the sound of the river crashing far below, he couldn't hear a thing, but he could see Pike and the Elharim exchanging words. The Rook knew he was about to die, but faced it with defiance. Oban could only admire him for that. If the Elharim shared his admiration, she didn't show it. Smiling with pleasure, she spun her blade one last time and thrust it through Pike's chest. The Kurtas howled their approval, quickly turning their attention to Oban, who stood teetering on the brink. He looked down, in no hurry to fling himself into the icy waters below, if he even made the waters before he was dashed on the rocks. When he looked back, he saw the Elharim approaching. "'Come, Southron,' she said above the din of the rushing waters. "'There is nowhere to go. Do not fear. You will find my lord an agreeable host.' "'Like fuck he would.' He would most likely find himself tortured, then thrown to the curta so they could finish off the job. Though he was in no hurry to meet his end, the quick way out was much preferable to the alternative. Without a word, Oban leaned back into nothing. He'd expected the fall to be longer, to go spinning and reeling through the sky, but no sooner had he stepped back and felt the lurching sensation in his gut and he was engulfed by the icy cold and the darkness. It surrounded him so tight he couldn't draw breath. It squeezed him like a fist, crushing him with absolute finality. There was a sudden squall. A rush of bubbling white water caught him, and he spun, turning, tumbling, caught on the vortex. His head glanced off a rock, jarring him, spinning him yet further as he clawed desperately. Something hit his leg, snapping the shaft of the arrow embedded in his thigh, and he screamed a silent scream beneath the surface of the river. A flash of light cut the dark, showing him the surface, showing him life. Urgency suddenly gripped him. His lungs gave up the ghost, and he was forced to gasp for breath. It filled his throat, invaded his lungs with ice-cold water, and he gagged, feeling it filling him with its doom. Oban pumped arms and legs, feeling a clutch of hope as he moved toward the surface. But for every stroke he took toward the light, the current pulled him farther along, farther down, 
twisting him, spinning him in its embrace. Teeth gnashed, arms and legs thrashed frantically. Even though his lungs were filling with water and he could not drag an ounce of air into them, he still struggled, still willed himself to fight against the death that was pulling him further into darkness. His hand broke the surface, clawing for purchase, but there was nothing there. He sank, fought once more, and his other arm managed to reach out, grasping a rocky outcrop, slowing him. But his weight and the river's current pulled him from the slick stone. With a titanic effort, he reached out again, pumping arms and legs until his head broke the surface. He tried to breathe, but his lungs were full. Only water spurted from his mouth. He could feel himself becoming groggy, lack of air causing shadows to form across his eyes. Before he could succumb to the dark, he was suddenly washed to the bank, freed from the river's deathly embrace, and he scrambled across the stony shore on all fours, gagging for his life. He retched cold water, dry heaved, retched again, and his whole body convulsing as he vomited onto the earth beneath him. With his lungs clear, he managed to suck in some air, then was sick again. With every breath he let out a pitiful moan, tears streaming from his eyes. He was exhausted, nauseated, his throat and nose burning with the sting of puke, his leg throbbing, head pounding, lacking the strength to do anything, but collapsed to the wet earth. There, lying in a pool of his own sick, he allowed himself to succumb to darkness. He didn't dream. It was only black behind Oban's eyes as he lay on the rocks beside the river, only oblivion, consuming him in its endless embrace. His eyes flicked open, seeing the world on its side, skewed but reassuringly real in the waning daylight. In the background he could hear the sound of the river flowing past. It had tried to kill him earlier, tried to suck him down to its depths, but now it whispered a sweet song, as though it hadn't tried to murder him at all. He realized he was shivering, freezing on the wet rock of the riverbank. Carefully he moved, trying to lift himself up on weak arms. The fight for his life in the river had left him exhausted, but he had to move, had to get some blood flowing into his limbs, or he was going to freeze to death. It wasn't until he tried to rise to his feet that he realized someone was watching him. Instinctively his hand went to his belt, but the knife and axe were gone, lost to the river. The figure sat some way from the bank, back resting against the bole of a tree. Oban wasn't sure if he should fight or run, though running was pretty much out of the question now. The arrowhead still stuck in his leg, burned, but the cold helped him numb the pain some. Fighting was also a bad idea, since he was unarmed and exhausted. He supposed he was pretty much fucked. Evening, he called out. It was as good a greeting as any. What was he supposed to say? Did you just see me wash up there on the bank? I nearly drowned, you know. Not sure how in the hells I survived, but there you go. Got any spare clothes? I'm frigging soaked. The figure didn't answer, just sat there in the shadow of the tree. Oban took a limping step forward, squinting through the gloom. 
You could make out the silhouette in the dark, but couldn't see any features. You all right under there? He asked. It sounded stupid the moment it left his lips, considering his own condition. I'm Oban. What's your name? The figure didn't move, didn't turn its head, nor nothing. But Oban heard the answer clear as day. You know who I am, Oban Halfweird. And though it seemed impossible, though it went against everything he'd ever seen, or heard, or believed, Oban instantly knew who it was. A chill went up him then. A chill that was colder than the river he crawled from, colder than winter snow or northern winds. You're the Lord of Crows, he answered, and he knew it to be true. Perhaps he hadn't survived the river after all. And you know why I am here? Oban nodded. He knew exactly why he was here. Come to take old Oban Halfweird off to the hells or the heavens, whichever it was judged he deserved the best. And as he thought on that, he started to laugh. He laughed long and loud enough that it echoed up through the valley, over the sound of the river, and cut through the coming night. Why do you laugh, Oban Halfweird? Oban stopped, noticing for the first time that every branch in the surrounding trees housed a bird, dark and black against the ink-colored sky. Just thinking how different it is believing a thing and seeing a thing. That Rook believed, and I guess he'd never once seen you before. And yet here I am, with you right in front of me, and I'm still not sure you're real. He shook his head and his grin turned to grimace. But I guess not believing don't change the situation any. Come on, then. We'd best be off. I'm starting to feel the cold in my bones, and I guess where I'm headed there's a nice big fire to warm myself by. So eager, Oban Halfweird, that is unusual. Well, I'm not one for dwelling on a thing. No, you are not. But dwell on this a moment. Were I to offer you a boon, one last request, a chance to change something before your time is over. What would it be? Oban looked into the shadows of the figure sitting there. He thought about his years roaming the wilds, of the life he had led, of the other lives he could have had, a home, a wife, a family. But he'd never wanted that. Not that he didn't have regrets. There had been failures, yes, men who had beaten him, escaped his wrath, and there had been men he had killed who perhaps hadn't deserved it. But despite all of this, he had lived a good life. He had served and been proud to serve. He had protected his country, walked the dark paths so others didn't have to. He had kept the common folk of the free states safe in their beds. Until now... There was one last failure that might bring doom to his countrymen, one last failure that could not be allowed to stand. 
I would warn my king what is coming, he replied. I would give him a chance to raise his armies, so he could turn back the Curtis and send their Elharim chief to the hells that spawned him. No sooner had Oban said the words than the trees erupted. A thousand fluttering wings broke the silence. A thousand black shapes took to the sky, and Oban staggered back, closing his eyes against the onslaught. When he opened them again, he was lying on that pebbled riverbank once more, Lord of Crows and his black-winged host, gone to the winds. All that was left were the sing-song tune of the river and the cold of the night. Oban stood gingerly, took a glance at the stars, and they showed him the way south. Without another thought, he made his way along the river bank. There were a lot of leagues and a lot of pain to come, but Oban would suffer it, and with any luck he'd make it to Harrogard in one piece, and with any luck he'd beat the storm that was coming after him. Well, if that doesn't add a bit of chill to the winter, I don't know what will. The cutthroat world that Richard has created for this tale is an intriguing one, as is the larger plot that he hints at. We hope he'll dig into it more and share it with us. Remember, faithful listeners, Far-Fetched Fables is accepting submissions for our podcast, as well as artwork for our website and social media pages. Check out the submissions page on the Triple F website for details. Please remember that Far-Fetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but don't change it or sell it, and be sure to give credit where credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors. Violators will be tossed to the ravens. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. At the risk of tipping our hand, as of next year, Triple F will have a little something exciting for our listeners every month. I can't tell you what it is. If I did, I would have to throw you to the ravens, but um, it's coming, and it's going to be fun. Anyhow, I'm off to go and find my cat. I'm in need of a purr. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.